Our Heavenly Father, um, one of the things that I, you know, I love about the church is that it's made up of all different kinds of people. And so I got to believe that out of a thousand plus people who have walked in here this morning, that there's quite a diversity of things going on in our lives. Lord, as we started off here, some of us are coming in and we're just fired up. I mean, we're, our faith is already built up. We're doing well. We're, we're strong and we've sung those songs. We're bustly and just we're focused on you. But Lord, if I don't miss my guess, there's other of us who are coming in here this morning rather beat up from the things that are going on. Friday alone in the market was just so up and down and, and frightening in many respects. And so, Lord, as we're involved in the world and the things of the world, we come here today hoping for some hope in our lives. And so, God, I pray for those folks that might feel a little bit beat up here this morning, if not a lot beat up, that, God, you would remind them of your goodness, of your grace, of just the provisions in Christ that you've given us, and that, Lord, that their faith might be built up and even bolstered here this morning, that their faith might be redirected, preparing for Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday of this week, their faith redirected onto you and your Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray, too, that as we look to you and as we trust you, that you would continue to show yourself, as you have for thousands of years, as a God of provision. God, we know that you provide for your people. And God, you have uh, proven yourself over and over and over again over the years, both in your word as well as practically in our lives. And so, Lord, would you remind those that might be very fearful today of what's going on in their lives that that you're going to provide for them as they trust you, that you always have and that you always will, and, and that you provide in season for your people. And may we rest and trust in that. And lastly, Lord, we pray that as we talk about your church today, as we talk about the things going on here and what we believe you're up to and that you, we hope you would do in our body, God, would you fire us up? Would you get us excited about the things going on in this place uh, and the things that you're doing that transcend the things of our culture? And may you give us a vision for our lives in the midst of all of that. And we pray these things only and always in Jesus' holy and precious name. And all of God's people say together, Amen. Well, as I thought about it again this week too, I thought, you know, this indeed is a great time for us to be talking about the vision and direction of our church. It really is. And the reason is simple as to why it's a great time. And it's, it's because as things kind of get chaotic in the temporal realm in our everyday lives, and for many of us not going very well, I think it's a wonderful opportunity for us to kind of pry our fingers off the here and now, which many of us tend to be too mired in, and get our sights on to the transcendent realm of what God wants to do in our lives in a spiritual and a relational way. And some of you are going, what's that about? But when Jesus was on this earth, check this out, he made this statement, and I love this statement. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. And he went on to say that though we're supposed to be in the world and not of it, there's actually two kingdoms that vie for all of our attentions 24-7 each day of each week. And that's the kingdom of this world with all the temporal things that are going on around us. Not always bad things, many good things as well, but just the materialist universe that we live in but then also the spiritual realm, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God that Jesus talked about. That unseen but very real kingdom in which we relate to God and know Him and see Him even break into our world and pearl fast one and and just minister to our hearts and our minds in ways that we look back and say, only God. 
And Jesus is all about helping us understand this unseen kingdom of heaven that's going on all around us in which God is up to some life-changing things at any given moment. And so as we learned in our last teaching series here at Scottsdale Bible Church called The People of God, many times what God wants to do is pour His energies in and through His people to display this kingdom of God or this kingdom of heaven. And that as we as the people of God band together and focus on what God is up to in this world and in the hearts and minds of people, He's going to do nothing but give us that peace and that joy and that purpose that we're all after. And that's why I say, maybe it's a good time for us to focus as a church on what God wants to do in and through us as the people of God, especially in this transition season that we're in, and see what God has for us as a church. And so last week, you might remember, we took a look at the big picture. I called it God's dream for the church. And we saw that God dreams about a people who band together as followers of Jesus Christ. We called it a community of Christ followers. And ones who you might remember are marked by two significant things. And that is an unwavering faith and an unconditional love. That as we look to Jesus, our Savior, we look to Him with an unwavering faith that trusts Him with everything in us through thick and thin, good and bad, up and down. But then also we look to others with the kind of love that Jesus looked at them with, right? The kind of love that He showed to the woman at the well or the woman called her adultery or the disciples when they failed. The kind of love that's unconditional in nature. And we define it as always considering what is best for them, not for us. Those are the two hallmarks that define God's people. An unwavering faith and an unconditional love. And I love the way that some of you responded to this. Some of you came up to me after last week and you basically said, well, yeah, 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 blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's all kind of up here stuff, but what are we going to do as a church? And you revealed yourself as the pathetic pragmatist that you are. And as ones who, who really aren't as concerned about flying at 4,000 feet and all the kind of nebulous vision stuff, but you're saying, come on, Jamie, let's get the plane lower and see what the trees look like. And I tease you about being pathetic. I'm just joking. But you know what? Let's do that today. Because we as an elder team and as a staff team and as a lot of lay leaders, we've given a lot of thought to not just nebulous vision and what might be on the horizon, but what are we going to do now as a church to get us closer to being people of unwavering faith and unconditional love? And so five things that I want to share with you this morning, five things that our elders and staff have all affirmed, five vision initiatives that we're calling them that we want to accomplish over the next couple of years that we think are going to do nothing but help us get that much closer to being men and women of unwavering faith and unconditional love. Five things, you're going to like this, that Scottsdale Bible can do that can kind of help us right the ship and get us smooth, or sailing in smooth waters once again. All right, so you ready for these? Here's the first one. And that is that we will bring a significant family focus back to the South Campus on Sunday morning. We're going to bring a significant family focus back to the South Campus on Sunday a.m. And now to understand this, I need you guys to give me a head nod. I think that all of us can agree that God is like really pro-family. Will you give me a head nod on that, right? That God is pro-family. And so I love Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Look at what it says. This is such a key passage. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. 
And I got to tell you, I've talked to a lot of people about this passage over the years, and most people just sort of skip right by that last phrase, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So what do you think that means? What do you mean every family is named after God? Well, I think that's exactly what it's saying. If you understand Christian theology, you understand that God declares himself in other parts of the scriptures as a trinity, right? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we know from our understanding of the trinity that God lives in perpetual community within himself within the trinity. In other words, there's mutual submission, mutual love, mutual relationship contained in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In a very real sense, there's a family within God, the Trinity. And I think that that's what this is alluding to here. That just like God Himself is a family, is a Trinity, that He is then now in creating us, created this thing called family that patterns itself after the divine imprint, after the Trinity. And so it's telling us that God invented the family here, fathers and mothers and kids, and He ordained it just like the Trinity to be a safe, embryonic environment that's going to foster growth and maturity as we have mutual love and mutual purpose and mutual submission. And as a result of this, he's telling us here that God places a huge and high premium on the family. He does. That's why I'm glad you all gave me a head nod, that God is pro-family. And so then it would go without saying that any church that claims the name of Jesus Christ must support, both support and champion the family, again, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And some of you are thinking right now, well, yeah, Jamie, I mean, that's good and fine theology, but what does this have to do with Scottsdale Bible Church? And why do we have to bring a significant family focus back to Sunday a.m.? Did we ever lose it? May I answer that in one word? Yes. In many ways, we've discerned that we have. Let me explain what I mean by that. For those of you who have been around Scottsdale Bible for any length of time, you know that about six to ten years ago, maybe even further back, we made some substantive changes to our programming on Sunday morning, and and much of it was in response to the whole contemporary worship wars debate thing. Do you remember that? In other words, we have an awesome, as we just experienced, symphony here on Sunday morning and a very large choir. And on Sunday morning, it's always been more of a blended style of worship. Many times we'll bring in the organ and, and incorporate all kinds of instruments, but, but it's honoring the traditions of our faith and, and blending them a bit with some contemporary elements. And that's kind of the pathway that we've explored. But then when people started pressuring us, and I wasn't here at the time, but, but Daryl was, to, to say, well, hey, we want contemporary worship. You know, there's this church down the road that has contemporary worship. We want contemporary worship. Our response to that was to say, well, gosh, we don't really want to mess too much with Sunday morning, so let's put it on Saturday night. So we started a Saturday night service. And then eventually, you know it, we went to Sunday night. And so right now on Sunday evening, we have like a really rocking contemporary worship service that honors God and attracts about a thousand people. It's one of, it's just as large as, as many of our services here on Sunday morning. But then we did a second thing. We took one of our best family-friendly Sunday school classes, Faithful Families, taught by Tim Kimmel, and we put that on Sunday evening. And then we took our youth ministry, like junior and senior high, where all the teens are, and we put that on Sunday evening. And so let me ask you a lead-in question then with this understanding, and that is that when you take your best contemporary worship, your best young families, your best enrichment class, your youth ministry away from Sunday a.m., what message do you think that young families and newcomers get when they visit here on Sunday morning? 
What message do they get? They get the message, well, why don't you check out Sunday night or why don't you check out North Campus because this is the way we're doing it on Sunday morning and we have a different platform for you. And the only problem with that is that the majority of people in culture today still see Sunday morning as kind of the prime time for church, right? And yet we've sent a message to young families, go Sunday night or go to North Campus. And how do we know that this has actually happened? Well, I hope you can have some fun with this, but if you're unconvinced that our average age on Sunday morning is over 50 years of age, look around right now. I'm serious. I mean, you're going to find anecdotally a couple of teens here and, you know, a couple of folks that maybe you think, ah, you maybe look like you're Jamie's age, maybe 44 or something like that. But by and large, when you look around on Sunday morning, and this is not a bad thing, we've aged. And that's okay. Churches get old. But here's the point. It wasn't this way 20 years ago. It wasn't. And many of you remember those days of Scottsdale Bible Church in which this South Campus AM was teeming with kids and teens were all over the place creating trouble and all the other things that go with a growing young church, right? And see, the problem is, and I've just baited the elders this way, and I mean this kind of fun-loving, is that if we don't do anything about this, then we are about 3,500 funerals away from shutting our doors, right? I mean, someday... We're all going to kick off and go to be with the Lord. And that's going to be a glorious day. And yet, if we leave a church then that had just gotten older and older and older and older, then we're in trouble. And so it just seems like a no-brainer that we need to start attracting younger families back to Sunday morning or we're going to really miss the boat as to what God would have for us. And the elders believe that. So we're going to do three things. Look up here on the screen. First, because we want this to be a process. Just so you guys know, we we really, we understand that there's some awesome, neat things here on Sunday morning, and we don't want to be super disruptive. That's not how change should happen. It should be a process over time. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, We're going to take our 11.15 hour, starting in January of 09, our 11.15 slot, and we're going to start what we're calling a contemporary worship video venue over in one of our great new rooms, the what we call the high school room over there. It's not going to be for high school, though. It's going to be an 1115 service in which there's live worship that will be very contemporary. I mean, primarily contemporary, redone hymns and all the contemporary choruses that you know, led by one of our best young worship leaders, a guy named Lucas Cooper, who's just awesome. And then we're also going to have a venue pastor over there. Jason Fisher is going to be our venue pastor to provide pastoral care and to greet people and welcome and sort of be the pastor on call. And they're going to have a worship service in there that's going to be live and wonderful and and uplifting, targeted, by the way, to 30s, people in their 30s and 40s with young kids, but any of you can go. And then when it comes time for the sermon, we're going to simulcast it in live via video uh, from here. And so that way we all get the same uniform teaching on the same campus. It's called a video venue. And it's going to be, I think, an awesome opportunity to see, one, if the video thing will work, but then also to provide a platform to start bringing families, uh, to provide a family place for Sunday morning. And that's going to be our first step in kind of messing with the worship stuff to make it geared towards some of our younger families. Second thing we're going to do is, is offer some more family-focused enrichment classes. So we're starting two. One started already, one starts in December. And the one that started now is called Faith Forward. It's for young marriage. It's going on right now. we got like 40 or 50 uh, young married couples in it already. And then we're going to start in January, maybe December, a 
enrichment class called Strong Families led by John and Cindy Trent. And again, I met with the leadership team this week and they are so fired up to start attracting again young families in their 30s and 40s. And then the last thing we're going to do, which is obvious, is that we need to offer then dual programming from birth through junior high. Simply put, one program at 9.45, one at 11.15 that are different so your kids aren't bored stiff while you're going to an enrichment class and to worship. And so again, that's just we're going to offer that kind of programming. And so the point is, is that we want to make room for young families here at Scottsdale Bible Church. Or to go back to our mission to build an unwavering faith and some Jesus-like love into the younger families of our church. And let's watch what happens to the fabric of our church. That's the first thing that we're going to do. And we're very excited about that. Now, that's just getting started. So I want you to notice a second key vision initiative. And if you were saying to the first one, because you might be an older person in this church, well, gosh, that really didn't apply to me that much. I just have to move over a little bit. Well, you're going to love this second one because this one is going to apply to all of us. You ready for this? And that is that we then, we also are going to create an evangelism culture that permeates all of Scottsdale Bible Church here in our church. We're going to create an evangelism culture that permeates all of SBC. Now, folks, try to follow the logic of this closely because I find a lot of Christians are really messed up when it comes to their understanding of the church and evangelism. So listen close. As we all learned last spring during a short vision series that I did here at our church on on the mission of God's church, we learned that the mission that God has given us as contained in Matthew 28 is to go into all the world, including Scottsdale, and to make disciples of all nations, including our nation, baptizing individuals as they come to faith in Christ, and then teaching them how to be wholehearted followers of Jesus. It's called the Great Commission. Jesus commissioning the church, giving us our marching orders, if you will. It's a mission that gets us closer to the vision of creating a people of unwavering faith and unconditional love. And I don't know if you remember, but I taught it to you so that you'd never forget it in three simple words. So that you'll never forget the mission that Jesus has given us. Win, build, and send. Remember that? Win, build, send. And so we're to win people to faith in Christ, build them up in their faith, and then send them out into their culture and to the ends of the earth to be winners and builders, a part of that process with their lives. And folks, the reason that this is so important is that once you start to get this, then you start to see why it's so important that any biblically-oriented, Christ-following church would want as the centerpiece of its growth and programming a strong and consistent evangelistic thrust. In other words, we need to grow by evangelism, not by transfer growth. We need to grow as a church by doing what Jesus has called us to do, which is to win people to Christ, not any other way. I mean, unless you're, if you're not convinced already, check this out. There's only one thing that the New Testament tells us, only one thing, that all of heaven throws a party over when it happens here on earth. And I'll give you a hint. It's not a well-run building campaign. It's not. And it's not a good three-point sermon. And it's not an awesome kids' ministry. And it's not a great teens ministry or men's ministry or women's ministry. As great as all of those things are, heaven, the Bible doesn't tell us that heaven throws a party over those things. Only one thing. Look at Luke chapter 15, verse 7. This will blow some of you away. Jesus said, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents 
than over 99 righteous persons who have no need of repentance. And so in the context of Luke 15, it's the lost sheep that is returned. It's the lost coin that's found. It's the lost son that comes home. That God and the angels and everyone else in eternity celebrates in unison when it happens here on earth. And because I believe this so strongly, folks, I declared way before I came here when I was in the interviewing process that as Scottsdale Bible Church moves on, at least under my watch, we must, we must grow through reaching lost people primarily and through finding lost coins and lost sheep and lost sons and helping them find their way home, not from veteran believers who move into this area and just like SBC better than another church down the road. I mean, that's not a bad thing. It's just that that's not the primary way the church should grow. The primary way church should grow should be through penetrating culture. And this culture's got a lot of folks to penetrate and convincing them of their need for Christ lest they face a Christless eternity. Amen? I mean, that's what God has called us to. I, I got to tell you, I, I read a lot of, uh, as, as many of you do in your own trades, I read a lot of trade magazines that have to do with pastoring. I mean, I'm just, uh, I'm a geek. I, I just love to read Christianity Today and Moody Monthly and Worship Today. And, and one of the magazines I started reading a few years ago is called Outreach Magazine that's now helping pastors with, you know, leadership and stories and insights on, on how to do outreach, you know, as a church. And one of the things this magazine does is that for the last few years, every year they've come up with their edition called the Outreach 100, which lists the top 100 churches in size in the United States, and then the 100 fastest growing churches in the United States, and then writes how they're doing it. And uh, you know, you got to understand, there's there are 200,000 Protestant churches in the United States. 200,000. So, like many of you in your own business, to be on the Forbes 100 or whatever it is, you know, to be in the top is like really hard to do. And I'm not even sure churches should try to do it for that reason or anything. But but that's just what they're listing here. And so, you know, I'm reading through it on the internet, you know, and I'm looking at this list, and, you know, it's a lot of churches you can imagine. You know, Rick Warren over at Saddleback, and Bill Hybels over at Willow Creek, and, you know, John MacArthur Jr.'s on this, and The Rock, you know, and things like that. And I'm reading down the list, and I get down to number 96, and it says Scottsdale Bible Church. And I'm going, Scottsdale Bible Church? Like, are there two of them? I mean, like, what are they talking about? And I... And I read over and it says, Jamie Rasmussen. I'm going, Jamie Rasmussen? I'm going, 100 fastest growing churches. And, and then they list the stats of how they got there. You know, how many people you grew and what percentage you grew, because that's how they, they make the equation. And they're doing it, by the way, from spring to spring. So from the spring of 07 to the spring of 08, a narrow three-month margin there of, of just uh, what was your increase. And sure enough, because I know what our numbers were, they listed that we grew by 635 people here on the South Campus and represented about a 14% growth. And so I'm going, yeah, they got the stats right, and that's in the top 100 of fastest-growing churches. And I got to tell you, my immediate thought was, because I really work hard to not let pride ever enter my heart, because I know my heart, and, and my immediate thought was, was boy, is this going to get me in good with the board. I, I did think that. I just thought, you know, a pastor's always trying to make sure that he's on good stead with the board, and I can't wait to sort of humbly show them this one. And um, so, <laughs> and then I thought this, however, and, and this is the real point, and that's what I thought, I, I know, not to diss this or anything, but I know why we grew my first year here. I'm under no illusion. And, and that is that 
let's all be honest with ourselves, that, that we grew for two reasons. One, we grew because a lot of folks that left during the transition and were kind of waiting to see if the new pastor was going to be a dud or not said, okay, the guy's not that much of a dud, we're going to come back. And so we've had a lot of folks flood back into our church, which is great. I mean, we're so glad that many of you are back. And then the second way we grew is that there have been some, and I've met many of you who, who were kind of floundering at your churches and were struggling, and, and you just saw it as a good time under our new vision and the excitement to come back here because you said, I think the Lord is up to something here. And again, we're, we're grateful for that. But I know one way that we didn't grow significantly during my first year here, and that is that I know we didn't grow significantly by conversion growth or evangelism. And I know that because I talk to many of you. And I know that because I know how many baptisms we've done. And we haven't done all that many baptisms for new converts. And so the thought hit me. Again, I'm not, I'm not down on this. But the thought hit me. And tell me if this doesn't fire you up. I thought, what if maybe three, five years down the road, we were to make this list again, but we did it because we created an evangelism culture here. And on any given particular year, we saw 200 people baptized in our Sunday morning services. Would that fire you up? I mean, 200 people, yeah. I'm not saying that's a goal, but just imagine, just imagine 200 folks that would make first-time commitments to Christ, 200 people that were like me 25 years ago, lost and bound for a Christless eternity, that found the joy and hope of Christ and were so eternally grateful to their church that they just sparked newness of life in this place. 200 people that, that say all of heaven was rejoicing over, and then as a little pittance, we make kind of this little list, you know, for the top 100. Who cares about that? I just go crazy. I'd say, God, thank you. But the reverse, by the way, is also true. If we get five, ten years down the road and we continue to grow and we become, you know, one of these large churches that maybe grew a thousand or two thousand people and we do an audit and find that most of them came from Schrader's church because they like my preaching better than Tom's, I would feel that so pathetic. By the way, I'm a good friend of Tom's. We're really clicking. That scares some of you. But it's happening. I like it. And I got to tell you, he and I have talked about this. We have no desire to swap sheep. We really don't. I mean, he has no desire to take many of you to East Valley. I have no desire to take sheep from his church. That's not what the kingdom is about. It's about winning your friends, your family, your coworkers, your sphere of influence, your service providers, who I know your heart aches for. So what are we going to do to create a culture like this at Scottsdale Bible? Three things. Look up here on the screen. First, I'm going to preach to this. Some of you are going, again? Yes, again, in January of 2009. And I'm going to do a three-week series that you're going to love on Luke 15, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Three different looks that Jesus gives us to help us grab God's heart for the lost. And I hope to fire you up on what God's heart is toward lost people in and around your life. And then the second thing we're going to do is we're going to ask Fred Beasley and the outreach department to do an assessment and give us a plan for how to get more evangelistically focused as a church. Fred is a mature man of God. He's a good man. And he and I have already talked about this. And if I don't miss my guess, he's going to talk about things like how we can train more of us in relational evangelism, that kind of highly relational, non-threatening way of just talking about our faith naturally and our sphere of influence. He's going to introduce us to some outreach events that are kind of low risk, but introduce the gospel to people. And then I don't, as my guess, he's going to involve many more of us in this idea of sharing our faith with those around us. And then lastly, what we're going to do is we're going to ask every ministry, and I mean every ministry, by the year 2010, by the end of 2010, to come up with an evangelism plan for their ministry. 
And this, I think, is going to rock our church. Because I'm talking about everything from youth to children, men's to women's, counseling to seniors. I'm even going to ask the greeters and the ushers to come up with a plan so that ushers don't just ush on Sunday morning, but that they give some thought to what are we doing to contribute to the mission of our church. Amen? Boy, that, that was weak. Amen? All the ushers are going, oh boy. Anyways, and, and so I'm real excited about asking every ministry to join together to break down the silos and come together under a common vision and a common mission. And all I can tell you is that for me at least, I'm letting the party begin. I want to create a culture that causes all of heaven to rejoice when they look at Scottsdale Bible Church. And I think that this can happen. Now, moving on, because we're running out of time here, there's a third vision initiative that we're fired up about here, and this one is going to affect all of you as well. And I'm not going to spend as much time on this because you're going to get it right away, especially those of you who have not done this yet. And that's that we're going to connect 75% of our current attendees in fellowship and or service. 75%. In other words, we're going to get people out of the pews and to become players in and through their church, Scottsdale Bible Church. One of the things we've discerned is that there's way too many of you that come every Sunday and sit there and go, nice sermon, pretty good music, I'm going home. And the reality is, is that that in the end of the day isn't church. Look at Hebrews 10 verses 24 and 25 and tell me if you can't pick up on what church is here. It says, and let us consider how to stir one another on toward love and good deeds. Not neglecting meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, the day when Christ would return. And so what the Scriptures make clear is that church, in its essence, is not just about a good sermon and some music, but church is about you rubbing shoulders with other brothers and sisters in Christ, sharing your story with them, praying for them, caring for them, studying the Word together, serving side by side. I mean, that's the community that Jesus fostered and that Jesus lived. And so what we're going to do is shoot to get 75%, at least three-quarters, of our church involved in that kind of community. So what are we going to do? Well, we're going to add some enrichment classes to our church. In other words, we're going to take our awesome Sunday school ministry that has about 25 different offerings on Sunday morning and Sunday evening, and we're going to add even more, two more that I just explained to you earlier. And we're going to encourage all of you to consider an enrichment class. Or if that's not your deal, how about a small group? We have like a hundred plus small groups that meet in in the community, in your community, throughout the week. Maybe you could join a small group, a men's study or a women's study or a couple's study. And then we also want to help believers understand their gifts and passions so that you can serve from your strength in all the different service positions we have here at Scottsdale Bible or maybe even outside of our church through neighborhood ministries or something like that. But discover your gifts, discover your passion, and let's create a culture of volunteerism at our church. That's something that we're going to start to foster. In other words, anything we can do to help you find your niche in your church, we want to do. And just so you know, I'll say as your senior pastor to you, as I work with the staff on providing these opportunities, the ball then is in your court. It is. It's that old adage that you can lead a horse to water, let's all finish it, but you can't make him drink, right? And so I know that we at times have not done a great job of providing opportunities for you, and we've not been as sharp sometimes on on following through when you want to get involved. I'm willing to own that, but those days are going to be over. I'm working with our staff to make us really sharp 
on providing for you enrichment classes, service opportunities, small groups, uh, places that you can get involved. But you got to take the ball then and run with it. And I just can't wait as your senior pastor to see you do that. And then fourth, we're going to do this as we move on. And that's that we want to nurture and develop the next generation of Christian leaders for Scottsdale Bible Church. In other words, we believe as well as we've gotten older, we got a whole group of leaders in our church that are now ready to take up the leadership mantle. And I'm talking about men and women in their 30s and 40s that are just chomping at the bit to lead. I love how the Scriptures put this to us. Look at Psalm 78, verses 70 to 72. This is one of the most awesome passages on leadership in all of the Old Testament. It's talking about David. And listen to what it says. It says, He, God, chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob his people, Israel his inheritance. And with an upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. I love it. Do you notice the huge contrast here? He took David from shepherding a few sheep to shepherding Jacob's descendants. From chasing after baby sheep to now chasing after all of Israel. And don't forget, this is what makes this passage so powerful, is that David was the runt of the litter. Do you all remember that? I mean, we've immortalized him as like, big King David killed Goliath and things like that. But when Jesse's sons were being lined up to see who was the next king, David wasn't even in the line. I mean, he was out attending the sheep. They said, the kid's ruddy, he's small, he's a runt, he can't be chosen as the next king. And you remember the story that, that when Samuel was looking at it, he goes, hey, you know what, someone's missing here. And it was David. And it's so cool because only God could take a David, a small, ruddy guy tending to sheep, and make him the king of all Israel. Only God could take rough-cut, burly fishermen and turn them into the first leaders of the church. Only God could take a punk-nosed kid from Chagrin Falls, Ohio, and turn him into a pastor. Or as Daryl has said, only God can take a young, insecure Frenchman who hated junior high and turn him into a seminary president. Only God can take your life and many of our young leaders and turn them into the next generation of leaders for our church. But there are many out there, many in our church, who are ready to take up this mantle. And all I know is that we want to give them this mantle. So what are we going to do? Well, we're going to establish an elder task force on leadership. I know there's, I'm commissioning the elders. I'm asking them. They're kind of my bosses, so I don't know what I'm doing commissioning them, but I'm going to try it anyways as, as to chart the course and to set the course for the next phase of leadership development of our young leaders. And as they're doing this, as they're coming up with a plan of what we need to do, we, the pastoral staff and the leaders, are going to do a couple of things. We're going to begin networking with outside experts to begin plotting a course. Bill Thrall from Leadership Catalyst and guys like Barry Asmus that are involved in citywide leadership. And then internally, we're going to broaden our Timothy ministry, which is our leadership training that we have right now for men, and then our women in leadership development, what they call WILD for women. And I've already challenged Pat and Margie that we need to double the amount of people that we take through these programs like Timothy is a two-year program. We take 30 guys through it every two years. I said to Pat, beginning on the nine, let's take 60 guys through it every two years. And he's up for the challenge. And so we want to expand that more and more to accommodate all the young people in our church that want to be trained in leadership. Folks, these things will do nothing but strengthen and prepare us for the years that lie ahead to move us closer to building a church 
of unwavering faith and unconditional love. Now we're going to end the service here in just a minute on a very special note, but um, one last very important initiative that I need to share with you, and that is that we're going to formally plant the North Campus under Larry Anderson's leadership. We're going to formally plant church campus under Larry's leadership. Many of you don't know this, but church planting is incredibly dear to God's heart. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6, Paul says, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And the reality is, is that God has always broken down the church into two categories, those who plant and start new churches and, and forge new areas, and then those who stay back behind at the mother church and be a part of the, the vision and the growth and the movement of God and the church. And that's always been God's pattern. And one of the cool things about Scottsdale Bible Church is that you guys have always honored that pattern. You've always been a part of watering and then planting, watering and then planting, watering and then planting. And so Northridge and Desert View and as of late Mosaic, uh, we've planted churches over the years. And as many of you know, I don't need to bore you with the story again. We did a long evaluation six months earlier this year of the North Campus. And we found two things. That one, it's a very, very healthy church. Very healthy church. Young families, evangelistically focused, uh, centered on worship and the teaching of the Word. So excited to move forward. About 700 people worship up there right now, children and parents. And then we also found, secondly, that they really want to be planted. I gave you that analogy that they're like a 20-year-old kid living at home that shouldn't be living at home. They want to be on their own. They have such a vision for North Scottsdale and North Phoenix and they're like saying, we just want, would you send us off in a wonderful way? And then when Larry Anderson said to me, and you guys love Larry, I know that. When he said to me, and I'd love to be their pastor, I said, that just seals the deal right there. I mean, this is going to be so exciting. So here's what's happening. Two things. Larry right now is working on a vision and a mission, uh, and he's going to be presenting that to us here, hopefully by Christmas. And we're going to share that all with you, what the plan is. We've struck a shepherding team, which is how we plant churches here, and two of our elders, current elders, are on that shepherding team to guide this process, Warren Soberg and Mark Snyder, and we just can't wait to see how God leads that process. And then secondly, and this sounded a lot better last April, by the way, I'm just being really frank with you, we need to pray and search for a permanent home for them and then collaborate with them on securing resources. Uh, Patty worded that here. Do you all understand what it means? When I say collaborate together to secure resources, in other words, like that 20-year-old that needs to go off on his or her own, they might need some help from mom and dad to get established. And there's no way North Campus can be planted on their own at least to find a permanent home. And so like we did with Northridge and Desert View and Mosaic, we need to help them get started. And again, that sounded awesome when the economy wasn't tanking last April. And now you sit there and go, well, how are we going to do that? Let me give you my most honest, straightforward answer. I haven't got a clue. But guess who does? God does. And all I know is that as we stay faithful and true to the course that He has called us, He's going to provide. And I don't say that tritely. I believe that deeply for your personal life and for our church. And so we're just going to follow Him in this. And we're going to stay the course and see how He provides for us. All I know is that we're probably going to look back and say, only God. Only God. Folks, I can't tell you how excited I am where God is leading us. I think for those of you who wanted to know what we're going to do, well, I think we've got our plate full over the next few weeks and months and years, next couple of years. We're going to focus on families. We're going to be more evangelistically focused. We're going to focus on fellowship and service. We're going to develop young leaders. We're going to help plant the North Campus in a God-honoring way. There's only two things that I need from you as a result of this, and I say neither of these tritely. I need you to pray, and I need you to be a player.
That's what it is. If there was ever a time that you thought of getting out of the fray and entering into more the heart of your church, now's the time. It's the time. I mean, there's no more exciting time. I got to tell you, because it probably goes downhill from here. There's no more, I'm just teasing, there's more and more exciting time for you to enter in to the lifeblood of your church. And so pray, pray for God's protection on this, because I know Satan is just looking around for someone to devour. Pray for God's guiding and leading. Pray for power from the Holy Spirit. Pray wisdom for your elders and leaders. And also pray about what your role is going to be in this. Because I believe God has something for each of you in this. I do. I don't believe it's an accident. You're hearing this message here today. If you got nothing out of it, buy the CD and listen to it again. I mean, maybe you missed something here. But I believe God has something for each of us in His church here called Scottsdale Bible Church. I mentioned we're going to end the service here today on kind of a special note. We have 12 elders that guide this church as volunteers in, in a very, very sacrificial way. Many of you don't know who they are, and I've got to do a better job of communicating to them who they are. And during this service right now, two of our elders are here. They come to all different services, and that's Jim York and Steve Linneman. And so, Jim and Steve, if you could come up here right now, I want to introduce these men to you, and then I'm going to ask them to close us in prayer. And I'm going to ask them to pray for our church, thanks James, in, in such a way that God gives us that protection and that blessing, that, he prays for, that they pray for many of you, that God would show you your role in our church as we go forward, that they pray for us as leaders, that God would protect us. Uh, Steve Linneman here on my left has been an elder here for a long time at our church. He's been at our church for a very long time. He's a guy that brings an unusual wisdom to our board. He's one of these guys, and many of you know people like this, who who doesn't talk a lot in the public setting, like he's not one of the more vocal elders like me, but he's the kind of guy that when he talks, there's just incredible wisdom that comes out of his mouth. And he's been a great blessing to our board. And then this is Jim York, and Jim is likewise one of the elders that just God has seasoned over the years that just brings an incredible amount of wisdom. And, and again, for you pragmatist people, this guy, I mean, he's your man. He's just constantly asking us, you know, what are we going to do in problem solving and very strategically oriented for our church and very excited for where God is leading us as well. And so these are two of the men who I report to behind the scenes who are doing an amazing job of, of leading us during this transition And Jim and Steve, I thought it would be great if you closed us in prayer. Maybe, Steve, you can start, and then, Jim, you can wrap up. And just pray as God leads you for these people, for our church, and for us as leaders. Thanks. Father, we just want to be known as a church who are an accurate reflection of you. Father, we want to be known as people who have just an unwavering faith and an unconditional love. Father, and we just ask that you would bring that on our congregation. Father, as we move forward in this vision, we just ask that you would prepare the hearts of the people that, that we would come in contact with, the people who come through our doors. You know, as we talk about a uh, vision of being more evangelistic in our church and having an evangelism as a culture, we ask that you would prepare the hearts of people who are not in our church when they come through our doors that they would see your love and see the faith of the people here. Father, I'd also ask that you would encourage each one of us individually to be involved in, in ministry. Just have, have a change in our hearts that we just want to be with your people and in, in learning more every day. And Father, we ask that you would continue to watch over our hearts and that they would grow deeper in love with you every day. And Father, we also ask that as we continue to go out and serve, 
that the community would also be able to, for them to be able to see that we would be unconditional in our love for them and the services for them. Father, I ask that you would just work in our hearts every day that we'll be able to serve you. Amen. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the gift that you give us to come into your house and worship you every week. Lord, as Paul told us in Ephesians 3, it is through the redemptive power of your Son that we can come with confidence, with courage before your holy throne. Lord, I just thank you for that courage that you give us, the courage to have an unwavering faith in your goodness and your provision. Lord, in James, you tell us that all we have to do is ask, and you will grant us wisdom, your wisdom. And that's my prayer for our church today, Lord, that you will grant your full measure of courage and wisdom to everyone here, the courage to go forth in an unwavering faith, to pursue the initiatives that Jamie's laid out here for us that that we believe are rooted in your plan for this church. And Lord, the wisdom to see each other, to see ourselves, and to see our world through your eyes, the eyes of unconditional love, the self-sacrificing willingness to go the extra mile for the goodness of those around us. And Lord, I just ask that you grant us courage and wisdom. We lift this prayer in your high and holy name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day.